0: This episode of The Witch Wave is brought to you by Alter New Orleans, your new favorite ritual in women's clothing. Rising up out of the magic, artistry, and decadent costume culture of New Orleans, Alter beckons to the inner witch in all of us. Elegantly weaving together divine floating shapes with commanding feminine lines, every stitch of Altar's garments is imbued with a unique feminist alchemy, lovingly handmade in the heart of the Crescent City. Rin Wilson, the owner and founder of Alter, takes tremendous pride in her mission to champion local artists, incorporating their work into many of her alluring designs. Rin is also fiercely dedicated to offering her featured artists fair pay for their talents. I love that. On a personal note, I own a number of garments from Alter, and they are utterly gorgeous and make me feel like a severely stylish prismatic witch. And now, you lucky listeners can get 10% off your first order at AlternEwOrleans.com by using code WHICHWAVE. So check out AlternEwOrleans.com. That's A L T A R, NewOrleans.com. Use offer code WHICHWAVE for 10% off and follow Alter at AlternEwOrleans on Instagram. Alter New Orleans. Worship what you wear. The world is filled with bewitching people, and you might be one too. Welcome to the podcast where art is magic, magic is real, and reality is stranger than dreams. I'm Pam Grossman, and this is The Witch Wave. Hello and welcome to the witch wave. All right, let's be real. If you've been paying attention to the news, you are probably feeling a bit anxious as I've been. And I'm someone who works to manage her anxiety pretty regularly anyhow, so adding layers of political conflict and potential pandemics and economic instability and on and on on top of all of that really doesn't help matters. When I'm feeling anxious, it can be easy for me to snowball that anxiety into something bigger and even more overwhelming as my thoughts start whirling and piling on top of each other. But one of the things I've learned to do when this snowball starts rolling is to try and get out of my head and back into my body. To try and stop anxiety momentum from building up any further. Sometimes that means physically changing gears, so getting up and taking a bath or a walk or exercising. But I've learned to shift my focus to my senses rather than my thoughts. This can be via meditation or breath work or looking at some beautiful art or lighting a candle or some incense and then taking the time to appreciate how it can change the atmosphere. My mom actually recently taught me a beautiful technique that she learned, which uses the four elements of earth, air, water, and fire to calm the mind and bring us back into our bodies. I'm going to lead you through it now. First, think about earth. Stop whatever you're doing and put your feet on the ground. Whether you're sitting or standing, feel the sensation of your feet being planted and steady right where you are. Close your eyes and think to yourself, I am here. Next, picture the element of air as you take three deep breaths. I'll do it with you. Breathe in. And out. And in. Water. picture how water flows and replenishes and then go and drink some water I'm gonna do that now ah. and finally is fire open your eyes if you haven't already and look for something that's the color of fire. It can be anything you see around you, whether it's red or orange or glowing warm and white. Maybe it's literally a candle that you decide to light right now. I'm looking around the room that I'm in, And I see the warm flicker of a candle flame and some velvety orange pillows that at the moment has a bonus cat curled up next to them. Hi, Remy. Now take that color in, that warmth, that energy, that fiery fuel. Feel your own body as it radiates and emanates its own energy and light outwards. And now, if you're feeling up to it, you can add a fifth element to this, the element of spirit, and give a quick thanks to spirit for your life and your blessings, and for the fact that right now, in this moment, you are okay. You are safe and you are present. I already feel a little bit better having done this. And I'm going to try to remember to do this mini meditation a bit more often. And I hope it helps you too. Whenever I'm feeling anxious, I also tend to get overwhelmed and flooded with too many choices. And sometimes it's hard for me to move forward in my day because I'm caught in this feedback loop of worries and way too many thoughts. Tarot sometimes helps me break out of this loop and provides me with a new perspective. So, a little bit earlier today, I took out my trusty Smith Waite tarot deck and did a simple one card pull. I shuffled the deck and asked, how can I best deal with my anxiety right now and moving forward? And the card I pulled was the two of pentacles. For those not familiar with this card, it looks like a juggler, this figure who is moving two coins in between their hands in a lemniscate shape or sideways figure eight, which symbolizes infinity and equilibrium. In the background is the ocean, and ships are sailing amongst some pretty big waves. It is not a calm sea. This card is about balance and fluidity and going with the flow. It's also a card about motion. It's not a card about stillness, or waiting, or just checking out, as much as that might feel tempting for us to do right now. It's about staying actively engaged in our lives, but doing it in a measured and flexible way. So let's take the big news that's been on a lot of our minds, which is the spread of the coronavirus It's not sensible or responsible to ignore the news about it or to minimize it and pretend it's not happening. Over the last couple days, Matt and I have done some extra shopping to make sure we have a few weeks of food and cat supplies on toiletries in our cabinets, which is what's being recommended right now. And we're checking the news and the CDC website periodically and being extra careful to wash our hands more, etc., etc., etc. But I also have work to do this week and things to make, like... Putting together this episode. I have birthday parties to attend, which I'm still currently planning on doing, unless the CDC says otherwise, because celebrating the people in my life is important. I'm taking more baths and at night, curling up with a thick, juicy book that I've always meant to read. I'm not ignoring the news, but I'm actively and intentionally balancing it with everything else in my life, because that's all any of us can do right now, to take care of ourselves and the people and creatures in our lives, and to stay adaptable and in motion. Taking breaks and having moments of escape or distraction is part of the equation, But so is continuing to keep moving and making our magic I'm grateful to the tarot for reminding me about that today And I hope it's a helpful reminder for you too To stay in balance and to keep flowing forward My guest today is Jessica Dorr And you might say she is the High Priestess of Therapeutic Tarot In our conversation, we talk about why tarot is complementary to psychology and how it can be used as a tool of enlightenment and inner evolution. But before we get to that, first, let's check and see what's come through on The Witch Wire.
1: Who is it? Witches!
0: Parker writes... My question for you is about magic and mental illness. I have several mental diagnoses that include major depressive disorder and ADHD, and I believe it's these two that hinder me the most in my practice. My ADHD makes it so hard to meditate I can never keep my mind clear for long without a song running into my head or a rabbit trail of thoughts coming in. I've tried guided meditations, but I don't know how those would work when I want to meditate with my deities. My depression makes it really hard for me to carry out spells or rituals or even do the smallest of magic. How can I raise energy if I can't even rise from bed? Both of these make it feel like I can't be a real witch sometimes, even though I absolutely know that isn't true. Do you have any ideas to help me adapt my practice around my neurodivergence? Hi, Parker. Thank you so much for asking about this. First of all, I just want to acknowledge that you are not alone. I have gotten lots of questions just like this over the past few years, so I know that there are many listeners who have similar struggles. Additionally, I'm not sure where you live exactly, but according to the National Alliance on Mental Illness, one in five U.S. adults experiences some form of mental illness in a given year. And according to Johns Hopkins Medicine, it's actually one in four U.S. adults. So, At any rate, we're looking at between 20 and 25% of all Americans who have some experience with this. Now, I'm not a therapist or medical practitioner myself, but I have many wonderful people in my life who have struggled with severe mental health issues at points in their lives, and I myself have to work to manage my anxiety, as you already know, so I know a little something about this. And forgive me if you know this already, but it is important for me to say that witchcraft, tarot, magic, etc. is no replacement for going to your doctor and seeking treatment. Hopefully you're doing that already, but just in case you're not, I really urge you to go because it absolutely can help you. I have seen so many people in my life who have been helped by going to their doctor or therapist, and I myself go to therapy, so I really, really, really recommend it if you aren't already. Anyhow, disclaimers and encouragements aside, spiritual practice is absolutely a super effective supplement to other therapies. And my guest Jessica Dorr and I are going to discuss this in much more detail on this episode. But to answer your question right now, I say, think simple. Your magic works with you just as you are. And you are beautiful and complete right now with all of your light and your shadows. So if you don't have the energy to get out of bed sometimes or concentrate and do some elaborate ritual or long meditation, that is totally okay. But ask yourself, what can you do? Is there a single symbol or deity that you draw strength from? Let's say, for example, you connect with Athena, the Greek goddess of wisdom and warriors. Her symbol is the owl. So perhaps you could wear an owl necklace or have an owl figurine or picture right by your bed where you can see it. When you're feeling really crappy, you can just touch the necklace or look over at your nightstand to connect with her. You can also do what I just did, which is pull a tarot card or oracle card and meditate on the picture. But I'd recommend you only do that if you're in a stable enough place to receive its message with clarity and calm. Because even though there are no bad tarot cards, some of the images can be a little intense. So you might want to find a deck that you know you'll feel comfortable with even at your lowest. In regards to doing a spell, the writer Annie Lamott has a book entitled Help thanks, wow, because she says these are the three types of prayers people most often say. They ask for help, they give thanks, and they express awe. And I think those categories actually apply to spells as well. So whatever spell it is you want to do, you can do it from bed if you really want to. You just distill the words and the symbols down to their basics as long as you have strength of intention, that's really all you need. You can literally look over to your Athena owl, let's say, and ask it for assistance or guidance, or give it some love and appreciation. You can give it whatever offering you can muster. Maybe that's lighting a candle if you feel safe enough or able to. Maybe it's just blowing it a kiss. Intention is what matters. Doing our best with what we've got is all that spirit can expect from any of us. I would also love for you to consider, though, that maybe if you're going through an extra tough period of deep depression or severe distractibility, and you can't do spells or rituals during those times, that's really okay. Your magic will be waiting for you whenever you're ready and up to working with it. So please take care of yourself and know that you are a magical and magnificent witch always. Now on to my guest. Jessica Dorr is a licensed social worker and tarot practitioner, teacher, and writer who is interested in using tarot cards to, as she puts it, quote, help people understand the interplay between internal and external life and to behave flexibly and in alignment with what is most precious, unquote. In other words, she uses tarot for helping the mind and the spirit work in more interconnected ways. Jessica's hugely popular Twitter and Instagram accounts and beautifully written newsletter all delve into both the psychological and magical meanings of the tarot. And in her tarot sessions, she seeks to support people during times of transition and stagnation. Her insightful, integrated approach to tarot as a therapeutic tool has been featured in such places as The New York Times, New York Magazine's The Cut, Teen Vogue, and on NPR's Weekend Edition – and Jessica's writing has been featured in O Magazine, Vice, and Psych Central. On this episode, Jessica discusses how tarot can offer rich psychological revelations, the importance of synchronicity, and why spirituality is a crucial component to maintaining one's mental well being. Before we get started, just a quick content warning. While we don't go into graphic detail, we do discuss mental health struggles and therapies, including very brief mentions of suicidal ideation and self-harm. Again, it's not extensive, but if even hearing me mention those topics or words is distressing for you, then you may want to skip this episode. Jessica joined me from her research treehouse in Berkeley, California via Skype. Jessica Dorr, welcome to The
1: Witch Wave. Thanks for having me.
0: I'm so happy you're here. I've been very excited to talk to you. And I actually want to start with your name, your last name being Dore, because even though it's spelled differently, it's spelled D-O-R-E. The image of a door is one that I think is really rich when it comes to tarot and other associations of symbolic analysis. And I wondered if you have any attachment to the door as an image.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's so interesting that you say that because I actually have never really thought about that. I tend to think about my last name. It's a French word that means golden. I'm Italian and Irish, but somehow I have a French last name. So I think about it as being golden and I always have kind of liked that. But it's interesting that you bring that up because when I work with cards, one of the things that I often say sort of at the start of a session or at the beginning of some work with cards, I'll say to people, we're going to think about the cards as sort of being these like little doorways that we're going to put down and we can kind of choose to walk through them and sort of see what's there. Some will have more than others behind them. Some will have, you know, something tiny. Some will have something vast. I actually do work with that imagery and concept of a door often in my work. And I've really never thought about it until now, but that's cool. (laughs) Oh, I love
0: that. Well, I also love that you brought up the concept of gold and being golden, because as I'm sure you know, in alchemy, and especially Jungian alchemy, there's that notion that, you know, we take the base materials of our soul or our psyche and through the refinement, you know, Carl Jung would have probably said the refinement of individual Situation or analysis, you then are aiming to become a more golden, enlightened version of yourself, too. So, what a magical name you have!
1: Thank you. Thanks to my ancestors.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Shouts to the doors. So I want to start with tarot because that's certainly how you came across my area of consciousness. You have this incredible Twitter feed where every day you pull a card and you give us this really succinct and yet so rich um kind of analysis or interpretation of the card. And I'd love to get a sense of how this daily practice started for you and why you've decided to share tarot through Twitter, first of all.
1: It started because one day I posted a card and <laughs> I think it was I pulled that day for myself and I liked it and I wanted to share it. This was in I guess twenty seventeen was when I like started doing the daily cards in the spring and I was in Philadelphia visiting. I was thinking about moving there. Yeah. I think it was like the night of pentacles. I, I can't remember exactly. I have it in my head for some reason that that's what it was. I probably should go back and see, but yeah. And I just posted it and I was putting out work at the time about tarot. I was writing about tarot and things like that. So I had people who were following me who were into tarot, but um, it just, it struck a chord with people and, you know, social media is one of those things where, you know, you get, feedback when you put something out. And we're such rewards driven creatures, you know, I was like, Oh, people like this, I'm going to keep doing it. (laughs) It wasn't really a super intentional thing. Honestly, I mean, it's evolved. And obviously, it's kind of taken on a little bit of a life of its own. But it started just very kind of off the cuff, and just sort of worked and has evolved.
0: One of the things that I love about the ways that you interpret your cards is that they're not necessarily like the rider-weight, quote-unquote traditional meanings that you bring forth. Certainly I think you're you're pulling from some of that, but it also strikes me that a lot of your analyses really do thread in your own interpretations and and certainly looking at a lot of it through the lens of psychology. Um, I, I I might give an example just for people who aren't familiar with your work. Um, A couple days ago on on Valentine's Day, actually, you pulled the Six of Pentacles and you wrote... Quote, there seems to be a connection between excessive giving without ever receiving and the need to feel in control. It might mean learning a new skill. It might mean feeling anxious or guilty. It might mean being vulnerable. And I really (laughs) love that interpretation of this card because (laughs) (laughs) it also obviously struck a chord with me because... I'm not like the deepest tarot scholar, but usually when I think of the six of pentacles, I feel like a lot of people usually interpret it as about being the giver and not necessarily the receiver. And yet here you're kind of flipping that a little bit. So can you talk a little about your approach to analyzing tarot?
1: Yeah, I mean, that card in particular, there's multiple characters in the image. There's the person standing up and then there's the two people that are that are in that receiving position. And there's a very clear sort of hierarchy and power structure that you see as well. And so for me, when I'm interpreting a card, I'm trying to look at the full picture and kind of like the images are sort of magical entities unto themselves. I actually was talking to a friend, I think yesterday about Pamela Coleman Smith, who, as you know, illustrated the, what's called the Rider-Waite deck. And sort of how I would have loved to have a book of her interpretations. I have Arthur Waite's illustrations of the cards, but then I realized that her interpretations are the illustrations and her language was visual metaphor. And so it's like, yeah, I'm interested in sort of Arthur Waite's idea about what the card meant, but she was the artist and she made the, the pictures and pictures are, what do they say? Like a picture is worth a thousand words. Part of the power of tarot is engaging on a level that is beyond verbal language Mm. and so in order to do that to transcend the conscious mind when you engage with image you're overriding a little bit that conscious mind which is very verbal by nature and so yeah I might have an interpretation of a card that I read in a book but what comes up when I look at it and for me when I look at that six of pentacles I see somebody who likes being in control they like being in that position of power they're getting something out of that they also are not really being very flexible they're holding a scale they're weighing everything very carefully very controlled about how much they're giving and when and and all of that and you know there's just like a lot of subtle energy in these illustrations that i think you can tap. To really kind of get the most out of what they're trying to activate in us.
0: Absolutely. Now, you, I think I'm correct here. Please correct me if I'm wrong. You have your degree in social work, is that right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so you have this really interesting orientation toward tarot where you're not only using them as kind of this tool for spirituality, but you also are bringing in your background in, you know, more. I guess you could call it traditional Western psychotherapy, right? Is that Mm -hmm. how you would classify Mm -hmm. the kind of braiding together that you're doing with your methodology? Yeah, I think so. That's pretty
1: pretty accurate. (laughs) So
0: I have to ask, how did you start blending these two modalities together? Where did this all begin for you?
1: It kind of all began when I was working as a publicist at New Harbinger, which is a self-help and psychology book publisher here in Oakland. This was in 2011, I believe, or 2010. And um, my job there was to publicize and market these clinical psychology books, which were like books for therapists and about how to sort of like treat different disorders, different like DSM disorders. I wasn't a clinician. I wasn't a social worker at the time. I hadn't gone to grad school. I was just I studied communications in undergrad. I wanted to work in book publishing. And I found myself at this psychology publisher And so I was spending all this time like with these clinical psychology books. And my job was to take like some of these more dry clinical concepts and translate them into language that would be appealing for somebody who might want to buy the book. That's what you do as a publicist. You sort of like take these ideas and make them sexy. (laughs) (laughs) And around that same time, some of my colleagues, my coworkers at that company, I had like a little dinner gathering at my house and somebody brought tarot cards and my mom had tarot cards when I was growing up. She's also a social worker and she would, you know, kind of pull them for fun and stuff, but she wasn't like super into it. So I knew what they were, but I was kind of like, Oh, I don't know. And someone pulled cards for me and they were so powerful that I was like, Whoa, I need to get my own. So I did. And like, I was studying and learning the cards at the same time as I was like spending, I mean, hours a day with these like clinical manuals for how to like do different interventions for different kinds of like dysfunction. They just went together naturally. Like the psychological interpretations were just sort of baked into the way that I learned the cards because I would go to work every day. I would spend eight hours with these books and then I would come home and I would do my little evening routine where I would pull a couple cards for myself. And I'd say, Oh wow, that reminds me a lot of this idea that I was just reading about today. And I would <laughs> write it down in my little notebook and that's just how it started. I To me, they were just so obviously linked that it wasn't like an effort made. It was just like, oh, these things just go together. And the, the visual metaphors and the cards, you know, metaphor is something that's used a lot in psychotherapy because it's a way to sort of use language and symbolic representation to help people make change and better understand their situations. And so the visual metaphors and the cards were just like such fantastic metaphors for some of the ideas that I was learning about, like, you know, experiential avoidance and distress tolerance and some of the things that you see me talking about a lot on Twitter and social media. Sure, sure.
0: It's interesting to hear you talk about metaphor, especially from a psychological standpoint, because, you know, in full disclosure, I've been in therapy on and off for most of my adult life. And some of the richest work that I've done in therapy is around analysis and delving into archetypes and dreams. And it's interesting to think of the cards almost like how old school therapists would use like ink blocks. Thoughts, right. It's it's like, yeah. like the rose shark. Mm-hmm. Exactly this way, I think, for your mind to or your spirit, your soul, to express itself in a deeper, richer way, and often to mm-hmm. reveal things that might be hidden from
1: yourself. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And this is not even just with tarot, but I think many of us are doing this. We're, you know, in our lives and our practices, like walking this fine line between honoring sort of what is traditional and what is sort of like the classical, and then also being willing to adapt the tools that we have, the practices, the rituals, the behaviors, whatever it is to fit the times. I think it's okay to give ourselves permission to sort of Use a tarot card, maybe a little bit more like the Rorschach, like the ink blot, and say, you know, what do you see when you look at this? Versus, well, this is what this means. Period. And there's no disputing that. And it's a hard line. Here's the meaning, and that's it. I think both are valuable. I don't think it's one or the other. I try to do my best to really learn and dig into some of the people who were writing about the cards and the and the archetypes and the symbols and the meanings that came before. But I'm interested in doing work that's relevant to today. We're living in a time that's so different from, you know, the time that Arthur Waite was living and working or Alistair Crowley, you know, they were living in a very different world than we're living in. So I think it's okay for us to adapt things to make sense for people.
0: Absolutely. Now, I understand that a lot of the work that you do are via online tarot sessions. um, And, you know, you certainly teach lots of workshops and online courses with a focus on tarot. But I'm
1: curious, Mm -hmm. are you also working in the mental health field right now? Or is that something you're working towards? So right now I'm, I'm writing a book. And so I'm out in Berkeley, just really primarily focusing on the research and the writing for the book. I just finished graduate school in August of 2019. So while I was in graduate school, I was working as a therapist as an intern in grad school. And then I'm sort of trying to determine what the next step will be, whether I want to do something that's sort of like straightforward working as a therapist in maybe a group practice or in an agency, or if I want to kind of just like continue to explore alternative ways to deliver these ideas and this information, there's a lot of sort of like choices ahead around that.
0: How exciting. Another doorway that you have to walk through, I see. (laughs) (laughs) What made you decide to get your degree then in social work? I mean, I I imagine you already were having a thriving tarot practice, and it's clear that you've reached so many people already. What made
1: you decide to go and get those credentials? At the time when I started graduate school, my practice was not Thriving is maybe not the word I would use to describe it, Uh, (laughs) (laughs) though I like that word and it's nice to hear it. But yeah, at the time, I started grad school in the fall of 2017, I believe. I went back and forth on it for a long time. Like I was doing work with tarot and I was writing about tarot. I was doing tarot readings or sessions, as I call them. But I didn't have like a full practice or a full schedule of clients or anything like that. And I wasn't really sure whether that was going to be something that was sustainable for me. And throughout the time that I was working at New Harbinger, I became really interested in doing clinical work, working as a therapist, just because I find that work to be fulfilling. I really enjoy working with people. I'm really interested in the lives of people and how to help people and all those reasons that people get into the field. But I went back and forth on it for a really long time. And actually the truth be told, I was debating between whether I wanted to, (laughs) I got like really into baking sourdough bread and like I was (laughs) obsessed with baking bread. And I was like, all right, I'm either going to be a bread baker or I'm going to go to grad school. And so I got a job in a bread bakery in Philly and I lasted two weeks. And I was like, man, this is so hard. There's no way I can do this. And I quit and I went, I had been accepted to, you know, some programs, I gave my sort of notice that I would be enrolling in the program. And that was it. And so I was like, well, I guess I kind of went to grad school almost because I like didn't know what else to do. Mm. But then like, while I was in the program is kind of when the stuff with tarot started sort of taking off. So it was interesting. Yeah, I don't know.
0: Life is so amazing. (laughs) I I would love to know, did and this is a very personal question, so fine if you don't want to answer, but did the cards help you navigate this time in your life? Because I think a lot of us can relate to not knowing which direction to go in. And,
1: you know, what was tarot a tool that has helped lead you to where you are now? Totally. I mean, I go in and out of pulling cards for myself at this point now. Sometimes it feels a little bit more like it's so much of the work that I do that, I've been kind of like getting into some other, you know, spiritual practices as a way to kind of just like get away from tarot a little bit. I, I, not that I want to get away from it, but, you know what I mean? I totally um, understand for what you. are sure,
0: Pe- Let me interject <laughs> yeah. and say, people are often often ask me like, do you do lots of spells for yourself? And I'm like, I, I definitely do, but I'm doing this work all the time. So you know, yeah. s- sometimes I mean, yeah, you just have to find all different ways of freeing yourself up and doing your own spiritual work.
1: For sure, for sure, yeah. But yeah, I mean, the cards have been an invaluable tool that have really changed my life and helped me get through a lot of times of uncertainty and and mystery and to sort of bolster me in like my intuition and what really feels right for me. And I mean, they've been extremely helpful.
0: Are there any cards in particular that came up for you that come to mind when you think of a card that really came for you at the right time?
1: No, I, I, I don't have a very good memory, to be honest with you. It's weird. I, it's not just like, oh, I remember something. There are things that I remember and retain really well. But tarot cards, for some reason, people ask me a lot, a question like that. And I'm always like, I have no idea. I have no clue what I pulled. <laughs> like I just pull them, something happens, and then I go into some other world or something (laughs) (laughs) on
0: that note we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back i already adore the ethereal visions tarot deck because the art nouveau style exquisite colors and entrancing gold leafing on each and every card just makes the deck sing for me and feels so enchanting to behold So I'm so excited that the creators of that wonderful deck are at it again with an all-new Oracle deck that, from what I've seen, is going to be fantastic. The Dreamscape Oracle deck is being crowdfunded as we speak, so you've got to check them out and support this heavenly project The deck is being created by the artist Matt Hughes, who is bringing to life a set of 24 cards created directly from his dreams, and if they meet their stretch goals, he might make even more. I got to see a sneak peek of this deck a few weeks ago, and it is just breathtaking. Each card represents an archetype reinterpreted for this deck. Cards like the seer, the rabbit, memory, and even the death mother hint to ancient symbolism and mythology that works so well in readings, journaling, and meditation. Plus, this new Dreamscape Oracle deck will be easy to incorporate with the Ethereal Visions Tarot deck, because each card also has that unique gold foil design that brings that magical quality to every spread. Ethereal Visions Publishing just launched the crowdfunding campaign for the dreamscape oracle deck on march 3rd and it ends in just a little over two weeks on march 24th and heads up they right now have a special 48 hour early bird reward happening that includes a gorgeous exclusive enamel pin available only during this early bird sale So if you like free swag, do not miss that. To see these beautiful cards and pre order this divine deck, go to dreamscapeoracle.com. That's dreamscapeoracle.com. And you can learn more about Ethereal Visions Publishing and their other wonderful products by visiting their site at evpub.info. That's evpub.info. Sounds dreamy. Welcome back to The Witch Wave. Today I'm speaking with Jessica Dorr. So I'm really interested in the combination of spirituality and therapy or the relationship between spirituality and therapy. And I say this as someone who has a a lot of experience with mental health struggles, not just personally, but but in my family. Some people who have read my work or who have listened to the podcast know that, you know, I myself, as I've mentioned, I've been in therapy on and off for most of my life. And I deal with anxiety, I deal with what I sometimes call the blues, which is my very romantic way of talking about, you know, feeling depressed. That said, I'm not someone who's Ever struggled so deeply in ways that other people in my family have. Um, so I can't talk about everyone in my family because their stories are private, but I will talk about my sister because she speaks really bravely and publicly about her own mental health. My sister was diagnosed with bipolar disorder. She was in and out of hospitals for, you know, most of her teen years and young adult years, she really couldn't function. And now, thank goodness, she's, you know, she says she's recovered. I know that that word is, you know, a debatable word. But, you know, she's not only stable, she's thriving, she works in the mental health field. She's a fully functioning, wonderful, happy adult. She still has ups and downs like we all do, but she had very extreme struggles with her mental health. And She talks a lot about how, you know, it was a combination of things that helped her. It was pharmaceuticals, it was behavioral therapy, talk therapy, and it was spirituality. In her case, she's a very devout Buddhist and she does a lot of chanting and and things like that that really help her. And so I just wonder where you see tarot potentially fitting in to someone's mental health world. It doesn't sound like you're implying that it's necessarily the only thing that can help someone. And I imagine (laughs) you still are supportive of other modes of therapy,
1: too. Is that fair to say? Of course. I think that there are definitely therapeutic aspects to tarot, but also as a person who has sort of extensive background in studying and working with evidence-based behavioral therapies, you know, tarot doesn't have an evidence base. So it's not something that I would say, oh, this is a therapy necessarily. Not at all. In fact, I think the cards, depending on the situation and and everything is so case by case and individuals are so unique in their experiences and the environments that they're in and the, the things that they struggle with. But I think, you know, for somebody like you know, your sister, for example, who is doing behavioral therapy, maybe she's doing a combination of cognitive behavioral therapy and dialectical behavior therapy, which are two therapies that is sort of known to to help with depression, unipolar or bipolar. And also DBT is is known to help with suicidality. And so for people who have sort of that extreme after sort of a manic episode, that real depressive state, DBT can be really helpful. The work that I do is taking concepts from therapies like CBT and DBT and using the tarot cards as ways to sort of illustrate those same concepts. And so I wouldn't say that it's a replacement for the therapy, but if I'm a therapist and I'm working with somebody who is diagnosed with bipolar disorder and they're having some of those particular challenges, the cards might be another tool to use to sort of help somebody understand some of the concepts like Behavioral activation, which is an idea that's used in CBT or a, a concept that's used in DBT to sort of help people understand how to use their behavior as a tool to stimulate a shift in mood. You know, when you're depressed, you want to stay in bed, get out of bed. That'll sort of challenge the depression kind of thing using behavior as a tool. And then the tarot is full of images and metaphors that relate to DBT, you know, the non duality that is sort of like the foundation of. DBT and dialectical thinking is what the major arcana sequence is all about actually you know from from the fool to the world
0: Can you expand on that a little bit that's such an interesting
1: concept Sure the foundation of DBT is this it's called dialectical behavior therapy the idea is learning how to sort of be in uncertainty how to be in those sort of gray ambiguous areas of life where for example I can be doing my best and still need to do better. That's something that people will, will say in DBT a lot. Or it's getting out of those binary black and white thinking traps that get people in trouble. For example, when I'm depressed, I might feel like this is all my life ever is. I'm always depressed. I always feel terrible. I can't see any of the gray area. I can't see that, you know, just a week ago I was feeling connected and joyful and all of those things. And so DBT, a lot of that is about sort of helping people get to those spaces of non-duality. Now, the journey of the major arcana from the fool, the zero to the world, which is another sort of circular symbol, and it's kind of split in half at the wheel of fortune, another circle. These are all symbols of that way of understanding life as happening on a continuum as being non-binary as being non-dualistic and sort of doing away with all of these sort of false separations and divisions that our mind creates and so you even see sort of in the earlier cards in the major arcana there's a series of dualities you know the, the magician and the high priestess the ego and shadow or the conscious and the unconscious the male or female you see that again with the Empress and the Emperor, you know, the nature and civilization, female, male, the mother, the father, and you see these dualities. And then you move into sort of the strength and the hermit and justice and more of those internal where you start to break that down. And then the tower is where the whole thing crumbles. <laughs> yes, and the devil yes. is the last stand where you see that the male and female symbol in front of the devil, at least in Pamela Coleman Smith's illustration, before you get into the celestial realm where you've transcended all of that and now you're in the, the heavens, <laughs> judgment, and then the the world at last where everything is interconnected. And that is at the heart of what DBT is about. And that's a therapy that was developed by somebody who struggled herself, Marsha Linehan, who I think she was diagnosed with borderline personality disorder. So she had a lot of suicidality and she developed it for people who struggled with suicidal ideation, suicidal behavior, self-injury. And she was specifically interested in helping those folks. And so I guess what I'm saying is I think the tarot can be used as a tool in those kinds of settings where you're working with someone who really does need the help of a professional who can sort of help them with their stuff, would that be somebody that I would say should, you know, oh, just go get a tarot reading, you'll be fine. Or, oh, go get a pack of tarot cards. And no, not at all. You know, usually people need a combination of things. I just said a lot of stuff.
0: No, that is, (laughs) that is so beautiful and so affirming, because I, I also think that so much, regardless of the types of therapies that we might be either drawn to or might be assigned to us, we still have to find meaning in them. And we still have to find narratives and metaphors and ways to connect that that phrase storytelling is, is so overused. But it's true. I, I feel like so much of the negative thinking that a lot of us are caught up in, it's about this story that you are telling yourself. And if the tarot can be another way to help us, you know, retell our story, or at least look at our story from a different angle, I, I find that to be a really inspiring and evocative idea.
1: Totally. You know, if you look at narrative therapy, which is a style of therapy that's very much focused on kind of what you're talking about, it's sort of helping people to thicken is the word that they use, you know, you you sort of have this very thin, narrow narrative about your story and your life. And we're kind of encouraged to do that too, right? Like what's your sort of like your boilerplate or your elevator pitch or whatever it is? You go into the doctor and you kind of spit it out as fast as you can. Well, here's my story, here's what's happening, and and help me, you know what I mean? And and tarot cards can can be really powerful tools in helping people to sort of thicken the narrative in the way that they understand themselves as, you know, not being good or bad, you know, not being any one thing, but like, okay, well, we're complex, dynamic beings. And how do I pull in, you know, sort of symbols of sovereignty and power and strength, and also make room for the parts of me that sometimes falter and that make mistakes. And some of that so-called shadow stuff, you know, the parts of myself that I would prefer not to present openly to the world, or I would prefer not to accept about myself. I mean, I think tarot is Super good tool for that, you know, and the other thing too, with behavioral therapies, like what we see now, and I've done a lot of research and writing about this for this book that I'm working on right now, the psychology field kind of took a turn in the 1950s from, you know, being the more sort of Jungian analytic, that stuff was very literary. It was very philosophical. It was very creative. It was very spiritual and it took a turn with the development of behaviorism, which is a science observing behavior. It went from being sort of this spiritual, creative, philosophical thing to being a science. And so what happens with that is that you get these therapies, you know, CBT, DVT, ACT, Acceptance and Commitment Therapy is another one. They're evidence-based, but they don't have that much soul sometimes. Mm-hmm, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm, like, I sure do. It's It's all about sort of measuring behavior and observing, and they're powerful. I mean, it's life-saving stuff, but if you add tarot cards in, or you add a little bit of magic or something that's a little bit more resonant on the soul level or something that's a little more resonant on the spiritual level, what a powerful sort of elixir you have combining those two things. And that's what a lot of my work has been about is taking these sort of dry behavioral science concepts that are the foundations of things like CBT and DBT and delivering them in a way that has more magic and more of a spiritual touch to it so that it resonates with people a little bit more than some of, you know, you read a a CBT workbook or something like that. It's like, it'll put you to sleep. And I say that as someone who worked in self-help and psychology book publishing, published a lot of CBT books, you know, they're, they're just not that juicy. Hmm. Hmm.
0: It's so interesting to also hear your take on the history of psychology because it's funny, I I just had to start with a new therapist. My last therapist, she, you know, is going into her own practice. So she's leaving the group that my insurance takes and we won't even go on an insurance tangent (laughs) right now. But, But it was actually fine because I felt like I got as far with this person as I could get. And, you know, Thank you so much to her but I'm ready to uh, start with someone new so it actually was a really nice I didn't have to end things with her. it just kind of happened and I'm ready for the the next person but the new person that I started working with, she right off the bat, started slipping in little hints that she was into spiritual stuff. She mentioned, like, she might occasionally bring in a rattle or, you know, she wishes that she was allowed to bring in her drum more. And I felt Ooh. like that was like her kind of testing the waters. And I was like, do you know what I do? Like, do you know <laughs> what I'm interested in? I was like, oh, we can bring in your rattle. Don't you <laughs> worry. I I, you know, shared more about Myself and the fact that I'm a witch and the work that I do. And she just like lit up because she said to me, you know, she obviously doesn't want to push her alternative spiritual interests on all of her patients and it's not necessarily appropriate for them, but it is a big part of what she does. And she is really thrilled that we can talk about Magic and archetypes, and i 'm so thrilled i 've always wanted a therapist who I can engage with on on that level. The therapists that i 've had have all as they should be been really accepting and encouraging of my interest, but didn't necessarily engage with that material themselves, so you know we'll see where things go with this new person, but I am so happy that there are people out there who, yes, they have the formal Western medicine training, which is really important. But my goodness, wouldn't it be amazing if more of our therapists also use tarot or (laughs) drumming or whatever alternative healing methodologies, you know, Mm -hmm. this person may or may not be using. And, and it makes such sense, too, because in other cultures, the idea of being sick is so often treated as like a spiritual ailment and not just a physical one. I mean, I'm thinking of a lot of indigenous cultures and how the shaman figure is not only there to like heal your body body, but also to engage with the spirits of the land and the energetic field of the society and, and try to heal the soul, too. At least that's mm-hmm. my understanding mm-hmm. of it. And I'm curious if, if you've encountered any other readings around blending together these different modalities.
1: Well, yeah. I mean, if you look at the word psychology, it's the psyche is the word for soul. It's the study of the soul. I mean, it's inherently spiritual. It's just that we live in, at this point now, sort of a data-driven, science-obsessed culture, which there are a lot of positives to that. And there's a lot of people's lives that are saved with some of the things that we've learned through studying behavior and through researching and doing clinical trials and understanding what works and what doesn't work. And I love that stuff. But also, you kind of can't divorce the two things, psychology and spirituality. You know, I think when you think about sort of like doing magic or what it means to do magic, and I know I'm talking to like a legit witch, so you can correct me if I'm wrong on my sort of interpretation of what it is to do magic, but I think about magic as sort of this using the subtle to influence the dense that, you know, through what is invisible, through using energy, something like a thought or the energy of an emotion or something that's going on internally but that isn't observable isn't measurable through prayer through i mean there's so many different things you use that to influence the physical reality to the you know the material world and therapy is just that a therapist is going into that internal invisible world and sort of transmuting and working with the client or the person that they're working with to help them to transmute all of that stuff to change their physical reality, you know, to change their behavior in behavioral therapy. That's kind of like the whole point, like behavior change. I think that there is sort of like this false separation between them, which I would love to see us kind of coming back toward a center where we can say, you know, okay, cool. Like behavioral science has, and will continue to give us a lot of amazing information. And then also like spirituality, magic, All of what we know from these traditions as well is valid and useful, and these things can be incorporated and integrated for some, you know, extremely potent interventions and powerful interventions.
0: Oh my goodness, Jessica, you can't see me right now, but I'm both like smiling so wide and I have literal (laughs) tears in my eyes because first of all, that description of magic, using the subtle to influence the dense is so beautiful. And I've actually never heard anybody put it that way before. So you can bet I'm going to be like quoting you for the rest of my life now.
1: That is so powerful. Let me say that I got that definition from the book Meditations on the Tarot, A Journey into Christian Hermeticism by this anonymous French man, or I think it might've been more than one person. They sort of identified themselves as a man, but they wrote this 700 page book about the major arcana published anonymously after they died. They wrote it sometime, I think around the 1940s ish. I'm not exactly sure, but in that book, they just do all these like deep dives into the major arcana. And they say in there that all magic is the putting into practice of this, that the subtle rules, the dense. So I got it from that. I'll just give credit where credit okay. is due, but Atom I thought that note it is, it's a powerful way of thinking about what magic is. And it really actually opens up the scope of what we can classify as magic, which is what I think is super cool.
0: Oh, that is so gorgeous. On that exquisite note, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. Hey, honey, package arrived for you. It's gigantic. What's in it? Hooray! It's my Mithras candles! That's a lot of candles. Um, have you seen them? Mithras candles' signature dripped pillars look like they've been crafted for a wizard's secret library. Right, but... They look like they've been harvested from a magical cave of wax stalactites. Yes, but I... And their natural honey scent makes me feel so calm. You want me to feel calm, don't you? They're,
1: they're lovely, but how many do you really need?
0: Well, there are also now Mithras candle votives, pyramids, and tapers. With so many different shapes and sizes, I can use them on my altar, in rituals, in our living room, on the dining room table, in the bath. Plus, they make the best gifts.
1: Amy, we live in a two-bedroom apartment.
0: Yes, but we're supporting a sweet small business. Remember, Mithras candles are handcrafted from the purest golden cappings beeswax by the loveliest folks in philadelphia well i was made in philadelphia too synchronicity matt see i'm (laughs) glowing just thinking about it Okay, well, giant boxes of Mithras candles being carried up the stairs, it is. And if you did want to get me some more candles, just go to MithrasCandle.com and use offer code WITCH to get 10% off. That's M as in magic, I-T-H-R-A-S, candle.com, and use offer code WITCH for 10% off. Got it. Offer code WITCH at MithrasCandle.com. Just... Pretend to be surprised. We never had this conversation. Welcome back to The Witch Wave. Today I'm speaking with Jessica Dorr. So, Jessica, you recently posted on your Twitter feed the following phrase professional facilitator of synchronicities. (laughs) And I love that so much. Um, I interpreted it as you describing yourself. First of all, is that right? Or was that just more (laughs) a phrase that you were kind of playing around
1: with? I think it does describe anybody that does work that involves symbol and archetype, certainly anybody that uses tarot cards in their work. I think that's what we're doing. We're facilitating synchronicities. <laughs> I
0: love that so much. And we actually haven't talked very much about synchronicity on the podcast. So I think you're the perfect person to address us. I'm obsessed with synchronicities and paying attention to them, keeping track of them. I have a little symbol I write in my journal to note when a synchronicity happens that feels significant. But for someone who's listening who doesn't even know what the hell we're talking about, can you try and explain what a
1: synchronicity is? Well, my understanding of synchronicity comes from Carl Jung and his theory of synchronicity, which was that when something happens in the external world and sort of like the matter around us that sort of syncs up with something internal. So there's this moment of synchronicity between, you know, you're having sort of a private internal experience and it's sort of matching or resonating with something that's happening in the external world. And those two things, what makes it a synchronicity is that there's no direct, visible, or obvious sort of causal relationship between the two things. And that's what makes it sort of this like magical experience. And Carl Jung felt that that when those things happened, there was something that was sort of activating in us that was leading us along that path of individuation. And that it was the work of the analyst to sort of help the patient or the client in noticing synchronicities, whether it was in dream work and noticing symbols in dreams or through tarot or through other like internal experiences and, and how those things were matching up with things that were happening in their external life. So that's my understanding. Yes, of it.
0: I yeah. love that. I love that. And I often use the phrase following the trail of cosmic breadcrumbs (laughs) because for me it's like i would say it's spirit capital s spirit that is communicating to us through these different signs and symbols to reveal something to us or let us know we're on the right track sometimes Mm -hmm. it feels like a coincidence and yet it's I feel like the word coincidence implies, I don't know, that there's nothing spiritual about it, that it's just up the, how random? Whereas to me, synchronicity, it feels like there's some kind of, I don't know, intentional information that's being communicated. And obviously, that's just my interpretation of it.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think words are so funny in that, like, they change. What they mean as time goes on, or you know, in a culture, the word is used in so many times in a certain way. But when you think about the word coincidence, like I, I agree with you, I think you know, coincidence it kind of makes it seem meaningless, or oh, it's just a coincidence because that's how people will say it. But coincidence, what is the co? The co is that there's a there's a conversation there's a collaboration happening between the individual and the divine or sort of the universe or the, whatever it is you know and actually if you look at the word you're like, oh wow actually that that is deeply meaningful but yeah I, I hear what you're saying though too yeah so how do
0: you in a session help, the querent or the person who, you know, has come to you for your tarot skills. How do you help them recognize synchronicities and symbols in their life? Does it happen where a symbol will show up in a reading that resonates with their material life somehow?
1: I mean, that's what happens in every tarot reading. Like, that's really (laughs) what it is. That's why I say, like, facilitator of synchronicities, like I'm going to turn some cards over and they're going to resonate with some things that are happening for you internally. And these are external. It's almost like I'm going to make a synchronicity happen right now. And we're going to sort of see where is the correspondence for you internally with, you know, the hermit or the fool, whatever the card is, it's activating something in the person A synchronicity is happening and it's activating something. And so, yeah, I mean, it's literally just, making a synchronicity happen. I love that. So
0: when someone is in a session with you, what can they expect to experience? Or first of all, are are you doing the kind of traditional 10 card pull or do you change your spreads depending on the person? How do you approach, let's say, a new person who's coming to you for the
1: first time? I try to set the tone as you know this is going to be a collaborative conversational dialogue i try to use a lot of language that encourages and lifts up the collaborative nature of the process because i think that because of the way that tarot is used in other contexts people come to a tarot card reader or a person who works with cards and they have an expectation that someone is going to tell them their life at which i Have really no interest in doing. I do like to talk and I have a lot of good ideas, I think. (laughs) (laughs) I agree with that. (laughs) (laughs) But I don't think that's what my role is in that position. And so I try to set it up as, you know, okay, here's what we're going to do. You know, I'm going to pull 10 cards. I put them in three rows of three. So it's like a nine card sort of grid and a 10th card over to the side. It's just the deck flipped over. And I learned that spread from a reader named Chevy Cardoza in Kingston, Jamaica, who I was getting readings from a few years ago when I was down there for a few months and she's amazing. Then I, you know, I turn the cards over and I say like together, we're going to, I say the doorway thing that I mentioned earlier, like we're going to think about these cards as doorways to walk through, to explore different facets of the questions or the areas of life that you've brought to the table today. And we're going to see what's in each of these. And we're going to together sort of come up with a way of like making sense of all this. And, you know, I obviously share my knowledge of the symbols and the archetypes and my knowledge of psychology and my knowledge of behavior, but I use the cards as much as I can to ask questions rather than give answers because I find that it's helpful to put people sort of back in that expert role. And that's what you learn when you're learning how to be a therapist, that, you know, people are the experts in their own lives. That's like therapy 101. you know, you're not the expert. That's not how this works. And I like to sort of use that principle there too, because I think if you do nothing else in a session with somebody, reminding them of their own agency and sort of their own power and their own wisdom is Very powerful. It's a very powerful sort of shift in perspective for someone who's kind of used to looking to the outside to get the answers that they need.
0: I absolutely love that. And this idea of collaboration and participation is making me remember something you wrote recently on your website. I think it was for the February tarot write-up that you do. And first of all, you're such a magnificent writer. Thank you. But you wrote participation means that you get to take part in this life. It means you have access to forces that are ripe for the taking, that you can claim them and start doing miracles and magic anytime you're ready. What a blessing. And I love that because, again, you're empowering us as readers, you're empowering the people who come to you to tap into their own magic, their own spirit, their own power, as opposed to, to your point, you know, saying that you have all the answers or that tarot has all the answers because it's always a relationship, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. And speaking of your writing, you mentioned that you are working on a book. Are you able to share any information about this? Because I already can't wait to read it.
1: (laughs) Yeah, what I can share about the book is that I am living in Basically, a treehouse in Berkeley in the Berkeley Hills, and I have been kind of in isolation. <laughs> I came out here to research and read and write, and I'm surrounded by bay laurels. And you know, the bay laurels are like very mythic and protective and and magical, particularly in like Mediterranean culture. Which I'm Southern Italian, so have a lot of like deep resonance with those leaves and they're doing things to me and Mm -hmm. I'm working on this book and it is about tarot and it is about psychology. And the aim for the book is to kind of provide something new to what is already out there about tarot cards, which is writings on each of the cards that are looking at the card through the lens of behavioral therapies through the lens of contemporary psychotherapy models. So a lot of the writing that you see out there about tarot, that's sort of very psychological in nature. A lot of it is drawing from Jungian stuff and psychoanalytic stuff. And that stuff is awesome. I'm totally obsessed with it. But what doesn't really exist is a piece of writing or a work that Approaches the cards from, you know, a lens that's a little bit more contemporary, you know, the popular therapy models today are not, you know, people are very influenced by Jung and Freud and people who are doing psychoanalysis, but the sort of gold standard in therapy today is CBT, DBT, ACT, you know, some of these these behavioral therapies that we've been talking about. So the book is kind of looking at the cards through the lens of those approaches to Healing and understanding psychology and understanding the human experience, and so I'm bringing in a lot of stuff from Jung. I mean, it's it's hard not to. Sure, <laughs> sure, but kind of just synthesizing with, I think, like a broader aim of, as I was talking about earlier, this idea of sort of like making psychology spirituality again. <laughs>
0: You need a t shirt that says that.
1: (laughs) Like making psychology spiritual again, I guess is really a more accurate way of saying it. (laughs) Like it is that, and it's always going to be that, and it can't not be that. And we can use what we're learning with science. It's awesome stuff. But let's not also forget that it's also deeply spiritual and powerful and potent and magical. I'm trying to, magic and science, they seem at odds, but. They're not at all at odds. They're very complimentary.
0: Here, here. And do you have a sense of when this book might be birthed into <laughs> the world? I'm not trying to rush you. But I do want to <laughs> it, read it.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's supposed to be. I think fall 2021. So yeah, I'll be hopefully finishing the writing later, like this fall, and then it'll be in production. So hopefully that that will happen as long as I can get it done. It's
0: a lot. Yes. Yes. Well, it sounds absolutely fabulous. I can't wait to read it. But in the meantime, I know there are many other ways for us to have access to your brilliant work. And can you share if somebody wants to either book a session with you or read your writings? What are all of your various social links or ways that people can work with you?
1: My website has, I post a monthly offering and that's, you know, I have like a few different like free things where you can sign up for the newsletter on the website. There's a tab and the newsletter is the monthly offering at the end of each month or like right before the start of the next month. Mm-hmm. I pull six cards, I write something inspired by those six cards, and I send it out to my email list. And then it gets published on the website about a week later, JessicaDoor.com. Easy peasy. Yeah. And then Twitter, the Jessica Door, Instagram, the Jessica Door. Twitter, I post a daily card with a little sort of message. Instagram, I post longer writing sometimes about the cards, sometimes just I, I was kind of saying half jokingly, but... I think it's true that my Instagram has become sort of like my research micro blog where I'm sharing notes and passages from books that I'm reading and things that are kind of like feeding and going into the book that I'm writing. So that's happening there. And then okay, booking a session. I offer 50-minute sessions. You can book them through my website, jessicadore.com. Um, what else do I do? I think that and might be Oh awesome. classes. Yes. I have classes. Yeah, of course. Um, and those are all listed on my website as well. I have a couple of like text-based online classes, which are like, you know, you sign up for it and there's modules and you can kind of go through. And one of them is tarot fundamentals and one is tarot skills. Tarot skills is kind of the culmination of my approach to reading tarot cards or using tarot cards to help people make change in their lives and go through periods of transformation and get unstuck and all of those kinds of things. And it incorporates, you know, the trauma-informed principles that we learn in in social work school and in the social work field and in therapy, as well as some sort of like basic concepts and skills from the counseling field. So it's a, that class is something I'm super proud of, tarot skills. I also offer a live version of that about once a month. And you can see that on the website under the live classes tab. And it's a, you know, it's like a lecture style, but you get access to the text-based course, plus the opportunity to ask questions and to be in a group. I have another class too, a major Arcana class, which is on hold right now, but yeah, all that stuff is on the website.
0: Well, I'm sure people are going to be really excited to dive into your world. And I know personally, I can't wait to oh, just get that book in my hands, but no rush. Take all the time yeah. you need because it has to be right. But it just sounds absolutely juicy. And I just want to end by saying that I'm so grateful that people like you exist, people who have such smarts and such heart and who are infusing the world with magic and spirit and really healing and powerful ways so thank you so much for your work Jessica and thank you for being here
1: thank you thank you for saying that and thank you for having me and thank you for your work as well that's
0: it for the show thank you again to Jessica Dore for sharing her subtly dense tarot magic with me do you have questions, feedback, need some witchly advice, or just want to share something magical that happened to you recently? Drop us an email at a witchwavepodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you, and you just might make it on the Witch Wire. The Witch Wave is produced, written, and recorded by me, Pam Grossman. This episode was edited by Rachel Jacobs. Thank you, Rachel, and myself. Our theme music is the song Hand and Eye by Lycanthia. Special thanks go to Matt Freeman, Lara Antal, and Shakita Pascal. You can check out information about this and other episodes on our website and now by Which Wave merch at WitchWavePodcast.com. Please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts and give us lots of shimmering stars. It really does make a difference and helps other people find the show. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Witch Wave Pod. And you can check out my witch emoji for iPhone by going to witchemoji.com or downloading it in the App Store. And please consider picking up my book, Waking the Witch which is available everywhere now. Thank you so much for listening. Witches are the future. I'll catch you next time on The Witch Wave.